be yourself. Be yourself in front of your horse. Be yourself with your colleagues. Don't try to be somebody that you think you need to be because your horse will catch you out every single time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reinforce the Horse. Today, we are here with Trudy Dempsey, and Trudy is a certified equine behavior consultant. Her love affair with horses began as a small child, and her work today as an equine behaviorist and trainer aims to recreate those healthy relationships she had with ponies when growing up. Trudy draws on her experience as a classical dressage coach to improve a horse's physical balance, her knowledge of how horses behave, and learning the theory to address behavior and training problems. Based in the UK, Trudy supports clients locally, travels internationally to present at conferences, clinics, and work clinics and workshops, and creates and presents courses online through the IAABC Foundation and Understand Horses. She writes she writes for horses and behavior magazines, guest lectures at universities, mentors and trains equine charities staff, and hosts the lead the Lead a Horse to Water podcast. Trudy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm great, Alyssa. It's really good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I'm just really stoked to be on somebody else's podcast. Uh, I do occasionally get that chance, but it is always really nice not to have to do the homework bit beforehand and uh, just turn up. So it's great to be here. Yeah, well, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And for the record, I don't do any homework beforehand. <laughs> we we just try to have this be as such of a a nice fireside chat of life and horses, and we don't really do a lot of preparation ahead of time. Uh, and it yeah, that that's good. I should have taken that route, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I should have done that. (laughs) A fellow podcaster nonetheless, and we're we're glad to be here. I personally don't know a whole lot about you and really just interested to hear your story. And perhaps you can begin uh, by sharing where it all began for you and horses. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm at the age of now in my time in my life when I'm trying to draw back from doing so much so it's been quite a life filled with uh, lots of of horses and ponies and I started when I was tiny my dad was a swimmer who was really interested in horses and rode horses but he was really a swimmer and he wanted me to be able to swim and he did a deal with me when I was about five years old that if I could swim a length of the swimming pool he would buy me a pony and so that's that's how that deal went he got me to swim and I got to get the pony and so I sort of grew up in what feels like now halcyon days of you're just disappearing with my pony and my pet lunch and my friends for for the whole day it we didn't have mobile phones so my mum didn't worry because she just didn't know where I was it was fine off we went with the ponies and yeah, I had a, a yeah, it was a lovely time. I'm sure there were some, you know, sort of terrible times as well in terms of we we always have mud in the UK. I don't know how much mud you get in your part of the US, but certainly, you know, there would have been winters trudging hay and water across dirty fields and all the rest. But in my mind, I can remember those lovely times spent with friends, going to competitions, and you know, just having fun with the ponies and. The ponies just fitted into your life. You know, if you were eating your sandwiches, your pony might have the crusts or something. It was just a really you know, easy time. And then when I got to be about 18 and I'd been through various ponies size-wise, I'd stepped up and um, I'd been showing and stuff. And I, I just had really got to the point where I couldn't afford to carry it on and my dad was like now now you have to go to uni and do your your bit and so I sort of stepped back from riding for I would say about five years at that point and I missed it a lot but uh, you know I didn't have the time really to commit to it so when I was in my early 20s I met my now husband and he was into windsurfing I gave it a go but honestly water sports and me not really my thing 
And so he had to go riding and that was it. Then we spent our weekends at shows, at competitions and doing horsey things. And we spent probably all our income and some more, you know, the usual story on horses and yeah, carried on that way for some time. And in a very, very sort of traditional background, I wouldn't say the people I trained with were aggressive or overly um, controlling of horses in, in fact when I was a child the absolute opposite you know it was always you looked after your pony first so if you went out for the day and the horse pony might be tired or thirsty or hungry it was always the pony that got looked after first that was always really pushed to me when I was a child but the idea of, of horses and ponies having feelings like humans do it is not really something that I ever knew about when I was a child so uh, I cut a very long story short, I had a back operation when I was in my 20s, which knocked me out for some time. And my trainer at the time introduced me to groundwork and I got into classical dressage through groundwork and I wondered what on earth I'd done all that time having horses and ponies and not understood how to use groundwork. So I got involved with classical dressage and went into competing in dressage but with that classical mindset of understanding the mechanics of how a horse moves and why it's important to do things in a, a, the correct order and to take your time and focus on the basics and get those right before you start thinking about piafs and passage and, and all that side of things. And then I got um, a position as an understudy trainer with uh, the, the person I was training with. And that really just opened up my world. I went part-time at the time I was at an air stewardess with British Airways. And I went part-time and I started training horses and, and their people more. And of course, I was teaching classical dressage. And then people would come to me because they'd done other people they'd been with other coaches and their horse remained difficult uh, people can't see that on the audio but you know in in inverted commas um, the, the, their horses were being difficult so they'd come to me did I have the piece of the jigsaw that they were missing and of course often it wasn't about the dressage it was really about the horse's behavior and it might be about its lifestyle and the fact that that person wasn't quite understanding the horse so I expanded my knowledge of behavior massively and very quickly. You know, I went from not really knowing that much to knowing quite a lot quickly. And it kind of horrified me where we'd got to in the equestrian world. So, you know, in my 30s, I started looking at clicker training and positive reinforcement. Uh, I'd done that with my dogs. And like a lot of horse people, I thought, no, of course, it doesn't work with horses. Um, and yeah so it's all in the last 30 years really come together particularly the last 20 in terms of behavior and then ultimately I wanted to certify so that I could you know let other people know to what standard I held myself uh, and so IABC is perfect for me because they uphold pretty steep principles in terms of how we alter horses behavior uh, using the lima protocol so you know the least intrusive minimally aversive techniques that we can when we're changing behavior and so i'm now a behavior consultant as well as a, a trainer but i'm at heart i'm a trainer i love working with partnerships that are they just need things tweaking a little bit. You know, can you see this from a different perspective from the horse's perspective? So a lot of my clients are, have been with me for years and it's great to see them. I'm trying to cut down on my in-person training and, and to do bigger events so that I reach more people at once. Um, and trying to head into the traditional world because it's very easy to sit in your comfortable little bubble where I've been for maybe the last 10 years, you know, where people come to a clicker training event because they want to learn clicker training. They know they want to. I want to get other people involved and, and that are outside that more in the traditional world. So, yeah, that's that's kind of in a nutshell um, where I've ended, how I've ended up where I am today um, and, and who I am. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing that. You mentioned being horrified uh, at one point, seeing how, or it sounds like seeing how horses were being treated and 
basically, it sounds like you had an awakening as to different ways and methodologies to approach that. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, at the time I was um, showing, I think that's in the States, how when you're competing at dressage, I think people say they're showing. Um, but yeah, I was competing at dressage and I just started becoming a dressage judge. So there's quite a lengthy training system uh, here in the UK to become a judge, probably very similar to the US. And what I saw as words on the page that judges should adhere to were not actually being supported in the environmental environment of the competition. So we had this, um, you're probably aware of it, this roll curve situation where horses have their noses right down on their chest. It severely impairs their ability to see. Um, it, what it does to them behaviorally and mentally is just out, you know, really just so huge and I could understand why horses couldn't perform. You know, you're taking them away from home, everything they know, away from their buddies, and you're putting them in, you know, some sort of transport for a few hours to get there. For some people, certainly in the US, they might travel overnight and have to spend time in strange stables. And then we expect that horse to go out into the arena and look like a, you know, a bomb's gone off and it wouldn't do anything. And, and that's just not how horses are. And so I, I it, it just increased um, as I went and, and learned more about it. And what I found was the judges at the top end. So here in the UK, you have a list one judge, which is the top end, right down to a list six judge. And the list one judges were, were pretty much aware of correct. They knew how a horse moving should look. And they understood that there might be, you know, what we call here in the UK native ponies that are a little heavier than your normal dressage horse that they could do the movements, uh, but they would look slightly differently. And, you know, I, I could see there was this, this big mismatch. And at the same time, people were buying merchandise from some of the top competitors who were riding their horses round with double bridles and chins on chest. And they, unfortunately, it's still going on. I mean, there, there have been great roads made into it, but I still see it. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was like, this isn't, what I think dressage is. And it's not, if you look back at the photographs and videos um, of the old days, it's not what it used to be. The frames were a lot lighter. The horses were a lot lighter. And of course, now we're breeding these big horses. They move incredibly. They, they have this awesome trot, but actually people can't ride it. It's so huge. It, it, and so they then start to work uh, how can I make this horse rideable? And that is by controlling it completely and, and over controlling it. So yeah, it was quite, quite sad, really, Jason. And once your eyes are open, you can't, you know, I used to love watching dressage and now I, I just don't watch it. I can't really. Yeah, just that's feels... interesting. Uh, it reminds me of uh, one of our prior guests, um, Shelby Dennis. She's in Canada and her company's called Milestone Equestrian. And she made this post on Facebook uh, a couple days ago, and the the meme it's kind of a meme, and the caption is is if the bad moments were really just a fractional representation of writing, they wouldn't be visible everywhere. And you know, it's definitely got like the double bridles, and you know that that knows the chest and the hyperflexion. Uh, going on in these pictures and it it's an interesting take that you know it, I guess what she's getting at there is is what you're talking about it just kind of permeates the whole industry and before you know it you're kind of washed up in in using your words you're horrified at at when your eyes are open to what's truly going on uh, it just is illuminating and you can't unsee that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me as well, it's seeing the young people following those superstars. You know, they, they have all the kit. They will produce a clothing range and everyone, all the kids want it. And they're the, they're the people that everyone turns up to see at these competitions. You know, and for me, once they started saying they didn't want spectators in warm up areas, I start thinking, well, 
Why? What's going on in a warm-up area that you don't want me to see? And there were some very uh, well-known videos. Oh, I'm going back probably 15 years now, you know, with horses' tongs hanging out of the side of their mouths. And you know, nobody wanted to see those images. So what do we do? We don't make it better. We stop it happening. We stop the ability for people to take that video, to take those photographs. And it, to me, with the where, where we're at now with this, you know, situation with the social license to operate where we're a lot of the sports horse sports are worrying whether they're going to have a sport in 10 years time they could have done something a long time ago instead of brushing it under the carpet so it's quite sad but but I, I think there still is a future if if they're savvy and they get themselves organized and open themselves up but yeah if you see if that happens at a show Jason can you imagine what happens at that person's house when they're training that horse. You know, they're, they're happy for this to be seen in public. So what do they do behind those closed doors? It, it's, yeah, scary. Right. I've, I've heard of similar types of things going on in the so-called liberty arena. You know, behind the scenes is completely different than, than what's done in the show arena. And yeah, horrified is a great, a great word because there's so so many things that you know I've come across just in my half decade of of being with horses that and I'm not even in the show arena or competition but just things that I've seen and heard about via social media and whatnot it's it's horrifying um can I take you back to the and I, I think Alyssa might have had a question but I'm gonna steal her thunder for a moment uh, I, I wanted to kind of go back to you mentioned some feelings and then you, you mentioned quickly that you had a back injury with back surgery. Can you take us back there? And cause I have a hunch that this fallout you had with your own spine, your own nervous system had some uh, definite connections to your horsemanship journey. Yeah, it, it de- very definitely did. And, and I think often, I mean, I, before I come to that, I just, because it's along the same theme, but just, I always find it interesting. Before that, I remember having the flu, which I think I've only ever had once in my life. I think that was it, the proper flu. I mean, I know when we all get a bad cold, it's like, oh, I've got the flu, but a real, and, and when I was, I had to have somebody else do the horses for me. Um, my husband and I both had it at the same time. So we were relying on somebody else to look after the horses. And when I finally got well enough to start exercising them again, I still wasn't very strong. And I just sat there and that horse, carried me it did everything I was so quiet I had to be I just hadn't got any energy and so it's always really interesting when you change you how much that affects the horse and so yeah absolutely when my the only place I was actually comfortable when my I had a a disc that uh, herniated in my lower back and the only place I was comfortable was actually sat on the horse. So I spent a lot of time either lying down, standing up, sitting. I, I just nowhere was comfortable. And it was a really miserable 12 months, um, mainly getting doctors to believe me that it was that painful. I think, you know, because I kind of carried on. Horse women, we just get on with it. And so I carried on for some time. And eventually I had, had the operation um, and I was told, well, one doctor, my own doctor said, you shouldn't ride again. And my specialist said, you could bend over and pull a weed out, weed out of the garden and something happened. Get on with it. It, it will do you good to be riding again. Uh, so I did, but I had to have that six months when I didn't ride. And I just did that in handwork. And A, it shut, pushed me in a, a direction that I'd never thought I wanted to go. And now I would say, groundwork is probably the love of my life if of all the training to see how you can affect the horse from the ground by just dropping a shoulder changing something so imperceptibly for you but the the animal and in dog training is just the same you know it doesn't have to be loud and big it can be so subtle um, and I think yeah definitely me falling out with my body helped me fall in love with uh, a different side of, of horsemanship and, and to see things differently. And also, um, one of my courses I teach is, is pain and discomfort and how we can look at the difference, how that appears to, to us on the outside of a horse. How do you know? Is my horse just 
um, having a hard time today because he didn't get enough sleep or does he have a sore leg? Um, and so I'm, I'm fascinated by that relationship between being in pain and how it affects you on the, the, you know, during the daily grind because that, that time when I was in so much pain, you can't think. It just, <laughs> there's nothing. Your brain is just not doing the right things. And so our horses, goodness, you know, how they manage to carry on when they're in often in such discomfort. So yeah, definitely, Jason, it was a massive change for me. Um, probably physically and mentally, you know, because I've never been exactly the same since, you know, because when you're operated on, obviously things change a bit. Uh, and as I've got older, obviously you get stiffer and things don't work as well. But I'm, I'm eternally grateful that I did have the operation and that I was, yeah, it was successful. It isn't for everybody, but it certainly was for me. I'm so glad that the operation worked and that you're doing better and that the horses were able to help you. You mentioned pain, and that's that's one thing. It's such a paradox in my brain. Um, there's been there's been a lot of pain, and I we have so currently we have three horses. We have Willow, Cody, and Grace. Before we got Willow, we had a horse named Mocha, and Mocha was Mocha was a beautiful quarter horse, blue roan mare. She was the love of my life uh she we had to put her down due to a hip fracture and i i don't think i'll ever forget the amount of pain that this mare showed us that she was experiencing and the like the amount of discomfort that she that she had um and i i suppose i bring this up because in a in a state i've never I've never had surgery of any kind. I've never like, I mean, I have my, my body's never, uh, never required me to get any extensive medical care. And I, in a way, seeing this horse in so much pain, I like, I could physically feel her. I could see her in that pain. And so I feel like in a way, being able to experience that with her brought me closer to her in her last, you know, last three days that she she lived and even the last moments that she was alive before she took her last breath. And I wonder if your horses, while you were in so much pain, did the same for you as I tried to do for Mocha and just be there for you and, and encourage you and uh, essentially just just hold you in this you're going to be okay yeah I think there is you know I I'm, I'm never certain that there is that absolute connection sort of soul to soul because I'm quite a pragmatic person so I tend to look at why it might be happening you know for, for other reasons but 100% and what an awful thing for you to go through this so I'm so sorry it, it's but it even so it she will be the horse that sends you on paths for other horses and helps you with them. I think I'm a massive believer in, you know, those horses make such a difference to our lives. Everyone makes the difference, but I think that the, the ones that you go through difficult times with, uh, more so than the euphoric times when things go brilliantly, you know, they've, they're wonderful times, but that you never forget those horses that you go through so much with. Um, but yeah, and, and certainly through my life, I've had to euthanize all sorts of animals and it is the most awful time. But I do also think that there is that special sort of thing that we can do for horses isn't there you know so good good for you doing that sort of believe Um, that she she was a catalyst to us doing what we do now with horses which leads me to my next question about groundwork and dressage as i my perception and perspective and view on groundwork is completely different today than it was uh a year uh two years ago and I just, I don't know, I view it differently. I see it differently. I i hold it in my being differently. And uh, I think Mocha's passing led me to uh, shift in that positive way and to where groundwork is fun for, for both me and Willow now and Grace and Cody and hopefully all of our future horses. So what is groundwork to you? 
Well, for me, groundwork is that ability to be like dance partners. And that's not making it like, I don't for one moment think I'm dancing with my horse. What I think, though, is that I can make a difference to the way they carry themselves by putting them in a place that helps them feel better. So I can just let them, you know, follow me on the end of a rope and just be there. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And there are people all around the world doing that just now, enjoying trail rides and hacking out, as we call it here. And that's absolutely fine. But if you want to make a difference to the physical nature of that horse, then, you know, just like we need to put some effort into it, then yeah, but it has to, it seems like it's no effort. So just how a horse uses themselves through a turn, I, I get quite, you know, I'm very geeky about all that stuff. And I love setting things up for my clients so that they don't have to touch the horse. You know, that the, the, the way a block is placed or a pole is placed, the horse will naturally move around that in their own spatial awareness. And it helps that as well, you know, the idea of proprioception and where the horse's feet are. We can't show them. We can set up an environment that they can learn it for themselves. And and for me, that's the best learning ever. You know, you know what it's like if somebody keeps trying to teach you a concept and you're like, well, I can't quite get my head around this. What's going on? And you say, look, let's just make it happen. And when you're in there and you're experiencing it, it's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, now now I know how this works. So I work on very simple basis. If you can teach a horse to move forwards, backwards and sideways through hips and shoulders, then you have every ability to teach that horse how to carry itself better and in balance that's going to help it go into hopefully old age um, and to carry you because it's if you are going to ride it's not that natural to have a human perched on your spine so you know I think that we tend to forget the groundwork so my groundwork's not showy at all it's really simple and I could cry if I see it done well if I see somebody with a long loose rope I'm honestly not that impressed by a lot of liberty because as Jason mentioned you know there are some techniques that I know go on behind the scenes so I'm not always that impressed when I see a man standing on a horse's back with two whips in his hand I'm kind of going to turn off at that point or standing astride a horse that's lying on the ground I as a woman I find that enormously difficult to deal with Um, so for me groundwork is giving the horse all the pieces of the jigsaw via the human that's training it and letting them put it together in a way that helps their bodies so it's um you know it's not pressure it's and that's why i love using positive reinforcement or clicker training as often people will refer to it because there is less of the pull and push that goes on with it you know so yeah my my idea of groundwork is it looks like the horse is doing it without your help but actually you've set everything up so beautifully that it just looks like that that resonates with me so much. Uh, I'm a fellow positive reinforcement trainer, as is dad. So we've been Willow. So Willow and Grace are two previously wild Mustangs. Willow came to me essentially wild. Uh, she was tip trained, but she really, I mean, she was terrified, scared to death. She wanted nothing to do with me or anyone else for that matter. And uh, we went through Mustang Maddie's Horse Human Connection Academy. And that's a, that was a two, two month intensive course and so I I pretty much started her from the ground up positive reinforcement and it's been all like Willow's time what is Willow comfortable with uh how does Willow want to move if Willow says no Willow gets rewarded for saying no and I've I've adopted that with Grace and Cody you know it's just it's an incredible like I love the way you put it as you know to how that to how that fits for you because oh god it just it feels so perfect what's interesting though Alyssa is that from my origins I'm applying the same physical principles in terms of how the horse should move so I'm still looking for the inside hind stepping under the the center of the mass of the horse to, to help them lift and carry themselves lightly but I do it differently and that's what's so fantastic is that you know even 
as I've got older and older, I, I had, I'm still finding new stuff. And, and that is what is just brilliant. Um, and the way the world is now, we all learn it much quicker because there are things like podcasts and there's, you know, social media. So people can share stuff, which beforehand we would have felt very isolated, you know, especially doing clicker training because it's that, oh, you know, she's the girl at the barn that does that. Not sure I want to get involved with that. That looks a bit complicated or, you know, oh, she's a snowflake or whatever they'd like to hurl at you for doing things differently. And incredibly, I get it from the other side of the fence because I don't know whether you've been in the environment long enough yet, but there are positive reinforcement trainers who think we should be pure to the degree of, you know, it's, it's a real world out there. And I have clients who have adopted these principles slowly. So I've had to you know, support them in very good, gentle, negative reinforcement until they're ready to fully adopt these methods. And yeah, I, I'm regularly hounded for that. But uh, yeah, I've I've got broad shoulders these days. So I just go, yeah, whatever. I've, if I'm helping some horses and some people, and let's not forget, it is about the people, even though we love horses, it's also massively about the people. And so, you know, we have to accommodate people and the differences in people in this. So I think that's just so brilliant that you, you found it. And Jason, too, because there's not enough men in the positive reinforcement world. There are not. This is excellent news. I'm loving it. Dad, I told you that early on when we started this. I was like, you being a man was going to like skyrocket you somewhere because there's not enough uh call him gentler horseman and god dad is like the most gentle horseman i know he'll go outside and sit and cody will come and like put his nose like right here and it's like it's it's just it's beautiful like this connection that that this this guy my father has with these animals is adorable to say the least it sounds wonderful and but i think it, you're right we do we need some male role models because I think men would find it, often find it hard. I mean, I have, I'm very lucky. I have had in my time a few, but only a handful of male clients. And they're normally really good at it as well. Their timing's brilliant. Their mechanics are excellent. And yeah, so we need more guys in there to, to sort of balance it out a little bit. It would be great. It's really interesting that you mentioned that. And there's a lot to unpack there. I wanted to go back to... Uh, something that came to mind as you were talking and, and it reminded me of uh, Warwick Schiller's book, uh, his recent book, The uh, Principles of Training. And he has a chapter in there and it's called Make the, right, Make the Wrong Thing Hard and the Right Thing Easy. And he goes on to say, um, you know, if you've ever been around the horse world much, you've probably heard the saying, make the wrong thing hard and the right thing easy, or as Ray Hunt is quoted saying, make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. And it sounds like that's kind of your approach in kind of visualizing and seeing how the horse is able to move. And maybe you set up a prop here and there to help to instigate that. And I just thought I'd throw that out there as kind of a, uh, and an extra added bonus for, for people listening to, you know, basically uh, just be able to, you know, make that right thing easy. Uh, and it doesn't have to be difficult to go that route. And then on the topic of, you know, thank you for the kind words, Alyssa. <laughs> we, we have a lot of conversation about this and, um, as many of our listeners know, you know, I didn't grow up around horses and, and really they entered my life a mere half decade or so ago. And this brings up a really interesting topic and I'd love to get your, your take on it, Trudy and Alyssa, um, in this discussion about, you know, the general world that we live in across all borders and and in different countries even to me it seems like there's an extreme case of broken masculinity in uh the prevailing worldwide societies and Alyssa as you know I'm I'm a very um you know heartfelt 
soul, you know, as far as uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with my, my masculinity and I'm also comfortable with my femininity uh, as a man. And that's, that seems rare to me on the surface, but at the same time, most, if not all men that I know, if we're able to connect at a deeper level, like maybe we do on a camping trip or something like that, uh, that sort of rough and tough aspect of the male, uh, masculine facade is quickly whittled away. And what's left is a very, is a very um, kind, gentle, and soft side that I find is ultimately supported by the female, the feminine people in our life. And not to be sexist or uh, whatnot, but I think, in my opinion, there's just a broken masculinity in our world um, that, personally, I found that the horses emulate and model such profound balance in that way um yeah and so what's your take on that yeah no I, I, absolutely I'd love Alyssa to speak to that as well but you know for me I think it's uh, there's a an expectation and has been forever in society for men to be a certain way and I think it takes a lot to break that down and I think we're getting there and every generation things change a lot more is accepted nowadays in the world that probably wasn't when I was young you know and I talk to people you know friends of a similar age to me and we talk about when we were getting our first jobs and the questions as a woman that you were asked before you were given that job, you know, whether you would be getting married, whether you would be expecting to have children, you know, things that you wouldn't possibly ask a future employee nowadays and would never have been asked of a man. Are you expecting to get married and have children? It would have had no, you know, no change in his life. And so I, I, I agree, Jason. I think when you strip it all away, the man that stands in front of a horse has himself and the horse there, you know, I mean, mentally strips himself away, obviously. Um, but, you know, it's it's literally, I think, uh, the best place to do it because there is no direct communication with a, a horse via word. So you can't tell the horse, uh, oh, this is how it is in my world. So you have to go into their world and react to the things that those horses say to you and I've got a, a, a friend in in the US who she also has um, taken on horses from Mustangs from from um, that this I can't remember what you you refer to it as but the system whereby you you know they, they are sent around to different people and you end up with fairly broken horses and she also films the well, they're not wild, but feral horses. And the amount of affiliative behaviours between males, females, youngsters, older, you know, it's not aggressive. There's very little aggression really in the real world goes on between horses. It's because we keep them in certain ways that there is conflict because they haven't got their needs met, that we see that aggression. And I'm sure with a lot of men it's kind of this expectation that you will be this certain way and I think you're right Jason when you strip it all back we're all just human beings trying to do our best which isn't very easy a lot of the time is it so yeah I think it's a great point yeah it's a it's it's an interesting conversation I think largely the world expects men to be this like all controlling all knowing you know being an individual and we still, I feel like, see men with so much power that I I don't really understand. Like, the, the power in that, I, I suppose, I can't say I don't really understand because I could largely, mostly physically see it. But it seems that the power is such a facade and such a, like, I mean, in all reality, we're all individuals no matter, you know, how old or young or what gender or whatever we are. It's just we're all individuals living our own experience and our own life. And I feel like the horses can help us see this in so many ways. I mean, I haven't had the 
the opportunity yet to go out and observe wild horses. I will eventually, but haven't haven't gotten there yet. But even just watching like our herd dynamic, I mean, let's face it, we have we have three horses, and Willow and Cody are like brother and sister. Like they'll they'll go ahead and and get on each other's cases and nip and kick and play with each other but it's never out of like I'm controlling you it's it's more of like a I'm asking you to move if you don't you know there's going to be consequences I still wouldn't even really call that control because Cody gets to do what he wants and likewise with Willow but well there's such like a mutual respect that comes in that we often strip away as humans, both in our interactions amongst other humans and other species, we strip away the the respect and the willingness to look at and observe other beings as ourselves. And as, you know, we all, we all come from the same place and, when we forget about that, then all sorts of problems come to rise up. Yeah, for sure. I think the thing that I like about what you just said there is observe. We don't observe each other as humans anywhere like we observe another animal because we don't have that common verbal communication. As soon as you take that away, you have to start looking at what your horse's ears are doing and did his tail swish when I did the girth up and, you know, is he moving about more than usual? So you're reading the language very differently and those observation skills. And I often find that people who are quite new to horses have much better observational skills because they're not used to it. So they it, it's all new to them and they soak it up like a sponge. Whereas people who've been around horses a long time and a lot of sort of presentations that I might do will be to people who are not yet thinking the way I might about horses. And you say, look, you see how this horse's ears are forwards? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's excited. No, he's having a hard time. He's focusing on something ahead and he's worried about it. It's probably you, the audience, um, or it might be, you know, if you clap your hands gently, let's see if he changes any. Uh, and, you, and, you, and they start to be like, how could I have missed this? How could I, how come nobody ever told me? Everyone told me how racehorses loved running and show jumpers loved jumping. And, and it's all a big lie, is it? And you're like, hmm. Okay, well, some of them don't love it very much, no. So, yeah, I love that the, it's communication begins with observation every time. And if you're not an observer, you're not going to get very far with horses. And I think maybe we should have that as part of a program where, where lots of macho guys start to observe horses and see what they make of it. That would be brilliant. It's communication, not control. And that's a sort of mantra. Dad originally started with Cody when he started, uh, when he started retraining him as Cody came to us very shut down uh broke he was he he's technically a rescue but we didn't rescue him if that makes sense we got him from from someone who rescued him uh but even still when he came to us he was very shut down this like glazed over eyes very uh I think it's called dead sighted where if he you know someone would try to ride him and you could squeeze or kick him as hard as you could and he wouldn't budge um and that was you know when we were still working using the typical natural horsemanship pressure and release um negative reinforcement as it's as I know it to be now and it's uh anyways so when when we started transforming Cody from that training to hey you have a choice and even even when you say no you get rewarded for that he started to wake up and uh I don't know now he lives such a happy life this horse is just so happy he smiles about everything and you could just be in the presence of him knowing that he is you know, loved and happy and just genuinely enjoying life. Um, but where I was going with that, this communication, not control mantra started from dad. And I feel like it's such a good, like, it's such a good thing for us horse people to, 
acknowledge and and remember and feel and and teach and train ourselves and our horses because i feel like largely we put so much control into these thousand pound animals and i don't understand i i understand like logistically how it works with attack and everything but i don't understand how one would want to take that animal and and control it because they're wild at heart all of them and they don't they don't deserve to be controlled. They're a thousand pounds. And and then it's a sense of like they, I feel like they know that they could control us. They could run off. They could do this and that. Of course, there's going to be consequences typically. But so then they just submit and they just, you know, okay, well, whatever. And and then they, they shut down. I feel like that's, that's just, I don't know, we, we should... As a society, I feel like we should pay more attention to the horses and, and awaken. And that goes into largely, I feel like as a as a female, maybe a, a male typically is more controlling than a female, which I know is not it's that's not always the case. But if we did just take a moment and step back and acknowledge everyone for who they are. I feel like God, our world would be so much better. Mm, for sure, wouldn't it? Just, and, and I think I love that the idea because control is, control is something we try to get when we feel out of control ourselves. So, you know, we are putting all our fears, all our pressures, all of society's pressures, because, you know, when you stop using bits and whips and spurs, Society then tells you that you must be out of control, that you must be either this snowflake or you're not a very good horse person or, you know, you're a keyboard warrior all of a sudden who can do everything on a keyboard but not on the back of the horse and, and the insults start flying. But actually, you know, you are offloading your lack of control, your worry about lack of control by trying to control this huge, as you say, this huge animal. And we have to think back to why horses would have been domesticated to begin with. Well, of course, they would, would have been sadly domesticated for their meat originally. But then when humans realize that these guys are just so easy to get on with, generally speaking, horses are very good. They, they follow you. They're, if you feed them and give them you know, a bit of choice in their life, they're happy to be with you. So when I go and see a client, and they say, my horse won't do this, it won't do that, it doesn't want to go there, it doesn't want to go there. I say, that's not normal. And they're like, but it is, I've had 10 horses like it, they're all like it, but I've had enough now and I want to be able to ride my horse where I want to go. I say, no, no, if a horse is pain-free, fear-free, and it's got a good lifestyle, they'll go anywhere with you. They like that. That's why they became you know, domesticated, ridden animals. Our, our ancestors weren't stupid. They didn't jump on the tigers and say, hey, let's ride tigers. They said, let's ride a horse. You know, very sensible. But so when I see, like you're talking about, Alyssa, those, those shut down horses who they have no answers, the minute you give them choice and control, and tell them that they can use their behavior, any behavior. I don't care what it is at the beginning. You know, they say, oh, well, I asked him to walk, but he stepped back. Yeah, I'll click him, whatever. You know, right now, I just want the horse to know that his behavior, whatever he wants to do right now, using his behavior is going to get him what he wants. He's going to find the reinforcer that he wants. And once you unlock them, you know, like you were saying there with Cody, it's like, oh, my goodness. And, and I just love, and I think somebody else, I don't know whether it was Jason or you, Alyssa, said, you know, when they get it wrong, they still get the, the cookie, as it were. And, you know, I, when one of my clients' horses walks away and says, I've had, I'm done with this, maybe they're being a little bit unclear with their mechanics or something. And I'm like, yes, the horse chose. It walked away. That's good. You know, I don't mind. We can look at why it walked away and we can make ourselves better because it's always us, but if the horse doesn't leave and doesn't show it has that choice, then I think it's a tougher time for that horse, ever, you know, always, isn't it? So, yeah, I, I love a lot of what you're saying. It's it's just tinging bells in my head too. Well, likewise, I, I love it. It's, it's just, it's the life. And I love to talk to other people that are doing it and that understand it and that, 
are committed to helping other people see the way of existing with these animals we call horses. It's just, it's fascinating. And to, I mean, I've been on my own journey, like I've mentioned, we're all on our own journeys, but it's been really cool to watch dad go from like, I don't, dad, I I never really saw dad as an animal lover. He never really struck me as the kind of person that would snuggle with an animal like the way I did. I've always loved them, always appreciated them, always says, oh, there's a dog. I want to pet it kind of thing. Dad's just kind of like meh. But then we started, I mean, we started learning to ride mocha and we started to be around them and and learn them i just there was this fire that lit up in dad and it just i don't know it's been really cool to watch him transform in that way now he goes outside and loves on these thousand pound animals in ways i can't even like show show love and affection to them it's really quite beautiful and i think Dad has showed me the dad has showed me what it's like to drop control and and not not be in control anymore, which is fascinating. I've learned that from Willow too, but I think largely I've learned so many lessons from this this father of mine. It's just in that that's <laughs> that's so cool, isn't it? I mean, how many kids can say that about their parents? I love that. It's just brilliant. I know, let's say you're making me blush over here. Well, I mean, that's not my, uh, that's not my intention. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. It's, it's so great to just be able to share this. And I, I think, uh, back when horses were just entering our lives, um, you know, I come across a number of people who are like, the best thing I did for my daughter was get her a horse. (laughs) And, uh, that resonates with me. And then, it, it's also kind of the best thing I've done in my own life. And, and, you know, they've, they've taught so much and Trudy, it sounds like you've, you've gone through, you know, a definite lifespan of working with, with these animals and they've taught you so much about just existing and being, um, one of the things that came to mind as you guys were talking, especially Alyssa, when, when you're mentioning working with Willow and, and communication, not control. And do you remember the, the, the times where you would have her pawing and she would choose the paw and like most people would like, I remember our, our prior trainer that Mocha came from, uh, what she would like throw pebbles up in the air and call them acts of God, uh, to get, you know, the, the horse from pawing if it was, if it was pawing for any particular reason, because it's a unwanted behavior that, um, but Alyssa on the other hand took it and, and took this expression that this horse was making and actually like translated it and was able to, to understand. And now they play that way and it's not an unwanted behavior. It, it happens in a particular time when the horse and this human are in, in connective uh, reaction toward one another. So it's an amazing thing to just be able to relinquish control, put communication at the forefront and then allow all these, like it's a domino effect that just allows life in our world and our experience to open up. It also reminds me of various like meditative techniques where in our own mind, so I think it's from the the Buddhist um, or maybe the Zen philosophies that talk about the so-called monkey mind, where if we try to control and manipulate thoughts on an ongoing basis, it's futile. Like we're not going to be able to do that. But when we acknowledge the thoughts and the feelings that exist and simply allow them to be and observe them and dare I say, communicate with them, then the whole essence of the mind becomes like what Mark Rashid talks about of like a mind, like still water and and then that flows into the horses and it's like this 
very positive feedback loop. Yeah, I love that. It sounds, you know, always to me, we people are very busy around their horses. Their, their minds are very busy. They're busy people as well. And it's very hard to be still and in touch with inside of you when you're with a horse, especially when you're training. And a lot of people never chose to train. They thought they were getting a made horse that they can ride off into the sunset on. And heck no, they've got to train it. Somebody's got to come and teach them how to do that, or they've got to follow programs online or whatever. And so their minds are constantly, you know, am I doing this right? And sometimes we just need to bring us, you know, be yourself, present yourself as who you are and stop trying to be the person that you think you should be. And it's, I can do that at my age. When I was younger, I was very aware of trying to fit into certain spaces and look the right way for that space. And, you know, as I've got older, A, I love sharing with people. So, you know, I love sharing with other trainers. And when you're younger, you think, oh, if I share with them, they'll have all my clients. But it's absolutely the opposite. So being yourself and showing up as yourself and sharing that with other people uh, is is the way that we can be better for our horses and the stillness. I love that idea of, you know, somehow getting that stillness. But, you know, people are just so busy, aren't they? It's it's a hard one sometimes for them to bring that to the table, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's... Yeah, it's a it's a paradox, but I think slowly we're all working to uh, shift it to where it's better for primarily the horses, but in making it better for the horses, we're making it better for ourselves. I've definitely that's Willow has taught me that. Willow's taught me a lot. Um, what is your favorite way to reinforce your horses? Oh, I have so many little gems over the years that I've I've learned. Of course, when I first started it was, you know, always going to be food. And I think with horses, it can be limited because with my dogs, I've got lots of games I can play. And that is A, it's reinforcing, but B, it brings them up in energy a lot, which you might want in dog training. But you know, nobody wants that horse that is like full bursting ball of energy although I did used to when I was younger I used to run from one end of an arena to the other or make my horses wait one end while I ran the other and then call them over and you know mayhem but we were having fun kind of thing probably horribly dangerous but um so yeah for me now it's not so much how I reinforce them but the attention I pay to the clarity of it because I'm one of my big pet things about positive reinforcement is not leaving the learner in the lurch so to speak so that the learner isn't thinking how do I get that food that's when we get problem behaviors coming out of the training so I don't want to leave my horse after I've trained with them in a worse state than I found them when I got there so I'm always thinking whatever reinforcement I deliver whether that's scratches or stroking or food um possibly you know a nice time afterwards but that's pretty limited on on how you can do it I'm really one for bringing clarity so with students for instance who don't feel they want to use a clicker yet I'll use patterns so that we might have food in a certain point at the of the arena and then I'll just back chain lots of behaviors from where that food is Um, so the horse learns a pattern and it learns how to get the food so for me it's it's not so much What's my favorite reinforcement? It's my favorite way of re- you know, giving that, delivering that reinforcer so that it's less stressful or as least stress as possible for the learner. Um, but I'd love to find a horse that actually liked playing with a tug toy because it's just so much fun with the dogs. But I think the horse might have the upper hand with me on that one. Well, I mean, I did teach my horse to paint, so I don't think it's far off. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've done that with the donkey. We've got, we've got, um, a, 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 over here, a rescue center and they actually earn relatively good money from their sponsors by donkeys doing paintings for them. Oh, that's cute. And uh, it's so cute. And, uh, the, the donkey who had originally done this and the person that had trained them had long since, you know, the, the donkey was getting too old to do it and they needed some more painters. Uh, so yeah, they, they got me in to teach the staff how to use positive reinforcement, which was brilliant. And I have to say, there are a few 
Uh, one big shout out to an organization called The Brook, who are a worldwide horse um, uh, charity. And they work in some of the hardest, toughest areas of the world where horses and donkeys and mules are still used as work animals under quite difficult conditions. Uh, but, you know, I've worked with some of their um, staff and the amount of commitment they have to trying to do things using positive reinforcement it's just amazing. And so there are, yeah, for every time I feel, oh dear, no, things aren't as good as I had to hope they would be. I can look to some other places and think, yeah, it, there is, as you say, there is change happening and it's heartening to see where that's coming. I really appreciate the point that you made about paying attention to the clarity of any particular reinforcement that's that's profound because to me that that really resonates that's right along the lines with communication not control so you're you're much more in tune with the message that you're trying to deliver rather than just delivering a message it's a fantastic way way to approach pretty much anything in the horse world and in life in general i think um Trudy, is there anything that you are reading right now that comes to mind that maybe a book or an audio book or article or something like that that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, I, I've got so many that I'm always dipping into. I'm a very bad reader of things from the start to the finish, to be honest, Jason. Um, I, yeah, it's a long time since I, from start to finish, what I read a lot of actually is studies. So, uh, I don't know whether the geek in either of you is ever interested in that, but there's a whole world around positive reinforcement of geekiness that you can dig into. But one that I really love is Kathy Sedeo's. It's actually a dog book, and it's called uh, Everything in Life is Free. And it's, I don't know whether either of you are aware of the um, technique uh, that where they they really describe everything that you should get your horse, your dog, whatever, to work for everything. So every single piece of food you give that animal, it should work for it. And and Kathy kind of uh, blows that apart and basically says everything in life is free. So the, the technique is, you know, nothing is life is free and that you have to do something for everything. So, for instance, when you went to put your dog's food on the floor or your horse's food into its stall, you would ask it to take three steps back and you would make it wait and you would put the food down and you count to three and then you tell it it could come and eat its food instead of setting up much more natural ways for it to do it so you know it's a, it's a, a book that just you know it's not about how to train or anything like that which is why I love it it's just about the relationship that we can have with animals and how we should allow animals to uh, interact with us in in ways that is less controlling and we've that's been kind of the theme of of us chatting and also yeah there's a great book on consequences which I can see the cover of because it's on my bedside table it's yellow with a little uh, sort of ladder across the front of it and the power of consequence my brain is completely gone on that and I think her name is Schneider who wrote it but uh, yeah that's another again it's not about training but it opens your your mind up about the power of consequences and thinking about how important that is and it ties back in of course with you know me saying that it's not about the reinforcer it's about the perception of the reinforcer and how comfortable the horse as a learner is around that so for me that's it's yeah to understand how the power that you have in your hands if you're scratching your food bag if you're feeding we really need to be you know careful as we take these new techniques into a wider world uh, we need to be aware of the, the power that we have could have because we don't want to get like the guys who are using their whips to to control horses we don't want the food to be controlling we want the horse to know it's their behavior that controls the situation and that they can use it in any which way they like, um, unless the vet's there and he needs to draw blood, in which case we have to have situations where the horse understands we're going to take a little bit out today and you're just going to have to do it my way, and then and then you can build that back up again. Those are great reminders, and we'll definitely uh, put links out to those books uh, that you mentioned. Those will be out in the show notes. 
Do you have any last minute uh, words of wisdom or advice for our listeners? And also, if you can just let us know uh, where to connect with you. Cool. Uh, Well, first of all, I would say, and it's easy for me to say at 61 years old, be yourself. Be yourself in front of your horse. Be yourself with your colleagues. Don't try to be somebody that you think you need to be because your horse will catch you out every single time. And it's, you know, there are a lot of people on social media. They do it a lot better than me. Um, I'm very poor at social media. But there are a lot of people out there making people feel perhaps a little insignificant and not very capable because it looks like they're doing it so easily and it's so easy to make it look glam now and very smart and slick and so be yourself you are absolutely worthy whether you're doing it your way or you're doing it another way and your horse is never going to judge you for being yourself so have the confidence to be yourself and keep an open mind as as my lovely uh, friend Andrea Harrison says yeah, it's about having a growth mindset. So, you know, keep that growth mindset. Uh, she certainly taught me that. And, and be grateful for everything rather than always looking at the dark side. You know, we've we've had a little bit of a moan about a few things on the podcast today. But, but ultimately, we're all very grateful for our interaction with horses. And I hope that's really come across um, because I can see it in you guys. So um, obviously, hope other people can and can see it in me. Um, you can catch up with me uh, here in the UK. Obviously, I'm at www.equine.training and you can find everything else about me there. I, I do wonder about bits of social media, but I say I'm very bad at it. Uh, and I do quite a few uh, in-person things. Last year, I was uh, had my first trip to the US and I went to Houston and presented at the IABC conference there. So that was fabulous. Um, and yeah, hopefully the next few years as I hope i'm really really hoping i can make semi-retirement work so i can still do this because i absolutely love it but i want to spend more time with my dogs on the beach and you know just having some fun and and you know not not just working but i i am still around and i'd love to connect with people and i'm I'm always very good at answering people if you contact me via social media or via my website i'm always happy to chat Very cool. Well, thank you so much for that. And we'll definitely uh, post links out so people can get in touch with you if they wish. And yeah, Trudy, it's been a great uh, discussion today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your your background and your experience. We really appreciate it and definitely appreciate you sharing your your love for horses in this format. And um, yeah, just thank you so much. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure.